Hello everyone, and we're recording this today on January the 15th of 2020, almost at midnight by the way, but welcome in and thank you for taking a listen. And today I wanted to get started with um, a topic that a lot of people are really touching on and it obviously happens around this time of year. College football just ended. Congratulations to the LSU Tigers for beating the Clemson Tigers. What an interesting game that was. It was between two great quarterbacks. Look at it, Trevor Lawrence and Joe Burrow. And But today we're not going to be talking about Trevor Lawrence. That'll be for a later time. Today we're going to be talking about Joe Burrow. And obviously everyone thinks Joe is going to be going number one to Cincinnati. I am in the same boat as them. I agree that Joe Burrow will be going to the Cincinnati Bengals. Do I think he should? No, I don't. I don't even think he's the best quarterback in this class. I personally think it's Tua. But Tua obviously has had a lot, a lot of injuries. And he's going to end up going later in the draft. And we'll just have to see. But the number one pick is going to be Joe Burrow. And we all know that Joe is a good athlete. He's got a good arm, not special. He's not a game changer. And he's going to end up having some struggles, especially in Cincinnati. Cincinnati has a couple of weapons and we don't know anything about AJ Green yet. I personally don't think he should be on that team next year. If I was picking a team for AJ Green to go to, it would be the Green Bay Packers. They have the best use for him. I believe that their GM, Brian Gutekus, would really like to get a receiver in there and an A.J. Green who isn't as dominant as he was maybe early on in his career when he was making all pros, is still a great productive receiver. But that's no here nor there. Today we're going to be talking about Joe Burrow. And being on the Cincinnati Bengals is also for another time. We're just going to be talking about the comparison to him. Now what I've been hearing about Joe Burrow is very different in all different directions. I've heard a comparison to Drew Brees, which I don't think is at all really true. I don't think he's going to be Drew just because Drew is Drew is such a game-changing athlete. He put the ball in multitudes of spots where only Drew can. I've heard a comparison to Joe Montana, which I think is outrageous. It's it's just so hard to compare a guy to to Joe Montana, if you compare anyone to Joe Montana or Tom Brady, those are the big two that it's so hard to gauge them. One, because Joe Montana had a phenomenal coach around him, a Hall of Fame wide receiver, a great defense. It's so hard to say he's going to be Joe Montana when Joe Montana had such a great career. He was such an illustrious man. Joe Montana really did change the game. So it's hard to say Joe Montana is comparable to anyone. I don't think anyone's comparable to Joe Montana except for Tom Brady. And Tom Brady isn't comparable to anyone else. But the the three that I've heard so far were Drew Brees, Tony Romo, and Nick Foles. Now, those are all, like, decent comparisons. And when you look at it, you know, comparing him to Tony Romo, Tony Romo had a phenomenal career. He has a top five pass rating all time in NFL history. And Tony Romo really did have a good arm. And, I, and personally speaking, I think if Tony Romo didn't get hurt the year Dak Prescott took over, the Cowboys might have went to the Super Bowl. And that's just because I think Tony Romo was a better decision maker. Tony Romo really could put the ball in better places. Dak wasn't ready for the playoff spotlight. It would have been a better team. And I know a lot of people talk about the read option, things like that. But 
Tony would have taken that team, I think, maybe potentially to the Super Bowl. Obviously, we'll never know, and Tony Roman will never lace him up again. So that's a decent comparison, Joe Burrow to Tony Romo. But the comparison that I'm starting to make is to that of someone who was, once again, drafted very high by a team that's poorly ran and has poor structure. The Detroit Lions drafted Matt Stafford, number one overall. And Matt Stafford, to me, is so comparable to Joe Burrow that it's actually a little bit crazy because Joe Burrow, who is six foot four, um, upwards of 200 pounds, I believe so. I don't have Joe Burrow's stats pulled up right in front of me, but just thinking about Joe Burrow and just the type of athlete he is, he's, he's a good runner, not a great runner. And he's got, a, he's got a good arm. He's got a really pretty football if you look at it. So he, Joe Burrow is 216 pounds. Matthew Stafford is 220 pounds. So four pound difference and a one inch height difference. Let me tell you why I think Matt Stafford and Joe Burrow are so comparable. Obviously, Matt Stafford, we all know, has an amazing arm. And he can put the ball where it needs to be and he can throw it. But when you think about Matthew Stafford, what's the knock on him? He can't win a playoff game. I mean, he can't win his own division. He's, not, he's never won his own division. He's been in the wild card and has failed multiple times to win a playoff game. And that's a struggle for Matthew. But Matt Stafford, who is one of the prettiest deep balls I think I've ever seen in my entire life, he just, he can make all the throws. And that's what Joe Burrow is to me. Joe Burrow can make all the throws. Joe Burrow can put the ball where it needs to be. He's a good athlete, not a great athlete. And Matt Stafford is similar. They're both going to be incredibly difficult to take down. They're both going to be number one overall picks. And they're going to be picks of dysfunctional organizations. The Detroit Lions haven't had a great season in a long time, the last time they had a great season was with Barry Sanders on the team. And Barry, we all know, retired early, just like Calvin Johnson. That's the type of dysfunction you're going to get from a Detroit Lions. And in Cincinnati, you're going to find something very similar. Zach Taylor is the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, all we know about Zach Taylor is that he shook hands with Sean McVay, basically. Zach Taylor is a good offensive mind. I don't think he's special. I don't really think he's going to end up doing anything in his NFL career. And he'll probably be out of the door before Joe Burrow's third season. Just being honest. But the problem isn't that. It's that Joe Burrow is going to go number one overall, just like Matthew Stafford. And Matthew, just like Joe Burrow, will probably never in their career win a division. The Pittsburgh Steelers are too well run, and they're just too good. The Pittsburgh Steelers are probably going to win that division another time prior to 
the Cincinnati Bengals even having a chance. Now, the Bengals did end up winning the division, but that was with Marvin Lewis. And the Bengals, they really don't, when you're talking about their ownership, really care about winning titles. They care about, you know, getting the next buck. They really do care about making the money and selling the jersey. And now that they have Joe Burrow, an Ohio kid, they're not really going to be focused on winning. They're going to be focused on making Joe Burrow a superstar. And the team that I can compare that to is in the Detroit Lions. The Detroit Lions, I feel like, do want to win. They've always wanted to win their division. They're the mediocrity. They're the laughing stock of the NFC North. The Cincinnati Bengals are not the laughing stock of the AFC North. That is the Cleveland Browns, obviously. So to me personally, I think that the Cincinnati Bengals are a lot like the Minnesota Vikings of the AFC North. They're good. They've won the division a couple of times. Under Marvin Lewis, they won the division. But did they ever win it? Did they ever win the playoff game? They didn't. The Detroit Lions have competed. They've never won the division, but they've almost done it. They make great runs at it. But when you're thinking about this, Matt Stafford, when you look at him in college, look at the way he throws the ball. Look at the way he places the ball. And then take a moment to look at Joe Burrow and the way that he plays. It's just so similar. It was like watching the same player. Joe Burrow to me is a lot more athletic than Matt Stafford. That, that's the only part I'll give about it. But they're both good, not great athletes. I don't think Joe Burrow is going to wow anyone at the combine with how great of an athlete he is. Because if he was like that, unfortunately to like knock Joe Burrow here, he would have done this good in 2018 prior to getting a very similar offense to the New Orleans Saints. The, the offensive coordinator for LSU, to me... Should be a head coach in college, at least. I mean, wh wow, what a job he did out there in LSU. He transformed Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow transferred from Ohio State after only playing a grand total of 10 games and throwing a total of two touchdowns. Now, when you look at the 2018 season for Joe Burrow and the LSU Tigers, it wasn't great. It wasn't special. It wasn't awful. But looking at his stats, he only threw for 2,800 yards in 13 games. There's a reason why no one thought that that was a good year. Because it wasn't. 16 TDs, 5 picks. It's just an average year. It's nothing special. It's not poor. It's good enough to win games. It's good enough to get you to a bowl game. But then you take a look at the 2019 season. I mean, 5,600 yards, 60 TDs, 6 interceptions. Joe Burrow did it all. A 76 completion percentage. I mean, it's unbelievable. When the year prior, he was under 60. And 60% is where you're saying, 
maybe you could be a third-round pick. But then he goes to almost 80%. You're then thinking about, wow, this kid could be the number one overall pick, will be the number one overall pick because Tua Tagovailoa got hurt. Now, when you look at Matt Stafford, obviously, it's different. His 2008 season is nowhere near Joe Burrow. Around 3,500 yards, 61% completion rating, 9 yards per attempt, 25 TDs, 10 picks. But Matt Stafford, he just, he threw the ball different. And Georgia, uh, they've always been a great team. But they weren't the powerhouse they were now. They weren't going to the college football playoff. If that team from 2008 was put in the position that the current Georgia Bulldogs are, they wouldn't make the college football playoff. We're being honest here. I just, I see it. I see Matt Stafford and Joe Burrow. I see Joe Burrow and Matt Stafford. The two are very similar. I think that Joe Burrow is going to have a pretty similar combine. And boy... This is not a knock on Joe Burrow because Burrow is going to have an excellent career. Just like I believe Matt Stafford has had an excellent career. However, Matt Stafford will never win a Super Bowl. It's just he won't because he has too many powerhouses in his division. He has the Green Bay Packers who are in the NFC Championship game this Sunday. The Minnesota Vikings who played the 49ers. This past Saturday. And if they get rid of Mitchell Trubisky, the Chicago Bears, who will always be competitive and are a really good football team. Bears have an amazing defense. Don't forget they still have Khalil Mack on that team. Joe Burrow and Matt Stafford, they just, they feel similar. All right, let me shift to this. The New York Knicks and the Milwaukee Bucks matched up last night. The Milwaukee Bucks obviously have superstar Giannis Antetokounmpo, and the New York Knicks have I, I I can't name I can name one player, and that's R.J. Barrett. The Knicks and the Bucks, two teams, in completely different directions. Now, why am I talking about this? The New York Knicks are very, very, very dysfunctional. When you think about it, the best thing they've done over these last couple of years is get Julius Randle and RJ Barrett. Other than that, they really don't have anything. It doesn't really make sense why they signed Reggie Bullock or why they signed a Taj Gibson or why they signed a Bobby Portis. There are three starting players that should be starting every night. Kevin Knox, Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett. Those are the three. And R.J. and Julius Randle had 25 and 22. Kevin Knox had 10. Knox is going to be a decent, not great player. Barrett has a chance to be special. Now, when you look at the Milwaukee Bucks... They have a guy named Giannis Antetokounmpo, which in 21 minutes embarrassed the Knicks and threw down 37 points. 
Chris Middleton with 17. But we're not going to really get into the whole box score or even the score of the game. The New York Knicks were rumored to be in this Giannis sweepstake. I don't think Giannis Antetokounmpo will ever leave Milwaukee. I think he'll be a buck for life because he just feels like that type of player, that type of player who won't leave his team, kind of like a Damian Lillard in Portland. The New York Knicks have somehow convinced themselves they have a shot at Giannis this summer. I don't care if the Bucks don't win another game this season. Or if the Bucks win the championship this season. Giannis won't be leaving Milwaukee, a very well-run organization, since their purchase a couple years back. They are going to make the playoffs this year, probably going to be the number one seed again. And they're just going to dominate the league. Again, I believe they will make the finals. I don't know if they'll win it. My pick out of the West is still the Lakers, which will be a tough matchup. I think if that matchup happens, Bucks win in seven. But that is neither here nor here, there. We're going to be talking about the Knicks. The Knicks believe that they can attract a top free agent. And not only a top free agent, the top free agent since LeBron James left Cleveland the first time. LeBron James did the decision. Giannis won't do anything like that because he's just not as public as LeBron. You see Giannis operating in the shadows a lot. Giannis is a very quiet, down-to-earth guy. LeBron was not like that. LeBron being known as King James, the chosen one, things like that. Giannis isn't like that. But the New York Knicks believe they're in the mix. Why? Because they're the New York Knicks. The New York Knicks have fooled themselves into believing that they have a chance at landing top free agents. They convinced themselves they were going to land Kyrie and Kevin Durant, which never happened. And when LeBron came out, I know they thought they had a chance with LeBron. This past time that LeBron left Cleveland, the Knicks probably also believed they had a chance with LeBron again which in my mind was never a thing. I didn't even think LeBron was going to leave Cleveland again. But LeBron being in that mogul stage, obviously it did. The New York Knicks are so poorly run that they keep convincing themselves they're going to get top free agents. And it's just not going to happen. The Knicks have horrible ownership. They just do. And I'm sorry because I'm a fan of basketball. I think if the New York Knicks were an interesting team, even a sixth seed in the West, or not the West, excuse me, the East, the NBA would be so much more entertaining because the Knicks are just the Knicks. But they can't get past their own dysfunction to make themselves a viable playoff team. Now this next year, they need to get a point guard for R.J. Barrett. And the need to keep Julius Randle. But knowing the Knicks, they're going to get a good offer for Julius Randle from a playoff vying team. And they're going to trade him. Because that's just the Knicks. The Knicks are so poorly run that they can't figure out their own head coaching situation. 
And it's terrible for the game of basketball. Because the Knicks were so dominant in the 80s, they were so dominant in the 90s, that everyone loved watching basketball. Jordan wasn't the only thing keeping the NBA afloat. If you remember that gap when Jordan was gone, you know what rivalry was keeping that alive? And there's a great documentary out there about it. The Pacers with Reggie Miller and the Knicks with Patrick Ewing. It was an amazing rivalry. And it was fantastic. And you know why it was so great? Because had it been a team that wasn't New York, let's say that it was the Indiana Pacers were still that team and the other team was the Milwaukee Bucks. Let's say Ewing was on the Bucks just for perspective back in the 90s and 80s, etc. Would not have been as entertaining. And you know why? Because it's Milwaukee and Indiana. No one cares. But it was small town Indiana and the New York Knicks. The New York Knicks were taking on Reggie Miller. And Reggie Miller beat him. And Patrick Ewing beat the Pacers once, went on. and. But what happened? What happened to that team? The New York Knicks never won anything. Because I, ha- I, I have to believe if the Knicks would have beaten the Rockets, we'd be having a different conversation. I think they'd be more well run now if they would have won that championship back in the 90s. But they are not. How do you go from being one of the most dominant franchises in league history to being what you are now? Mediocrity for the past two decades. They were horrible in the 2000s. They were horrible in the 2010s. And now, going into the 2020s era, they're going to be horrible again. This, they're going to open the decade again by missing the playoffs. And they're not going to make the playoffs anytime soon because they're just bad. The New York Knicks, they're just so dysfunctional. They need to have a new owner or leadership change from the top down, and they need everyone out of that building. All the toxicity, they need to bring in new coaches, a whole new coaching staff. Not a single person should have been working for the New York Knicks that will be on the coaching staff next year that has been there for the past four years. Everyone's gone. Trainers are gone. Medical staff is gone. Head coaching is gone. GM is gone. The Knicks need to restart. And I'm not a Knicks fan at all. I just think basketball would be so much better if the New York Knicks were great. Because the Knicks, they just mean basketball. If you ever get a chance to go to New York and see the streets... And watch them playing basketball. You're going to see them having so much fun. You're going to see guys that look like they're playing like Kyrie Irving all the time. But you don't get that with the Knicks. You don't get excitement with the Knicks. You know what you get when you go to a Knicks game? Disappointment. Yes, they win games. They've won 11 this season. But they're not going to crack 30. They're just not. They're not going to have an all-star. It's just sad. They had a good free agent once. And he wasn't even a free agent. It was a trade. It was Carmelo Anthony. That was their last marquee player they bought. Amar Stoudemire, please. He was at the tail end of his career. 
If the Knicks want to get back into basketball and they want to start playing good, dominant basketball again, they have to change everything. Their, their entire leadership structure has to change. Neither R.J. Barrett, who I don't think is a leader, or Julius Randle have to step up. The New York Knicks didn't get Zion. Correct. But I don't think Zion would have been able to save this franchise either. It, it's sad. And you, there, there's no way the Knicks can say they can't find a way out of dysfunction. Because you know who did? The Lakers. The Lakers did. And it wasn't because of LeBron. They were building something and LeBron took it to a whole new level. And now they're just, they're a great team. They're the one of the best in the West, if not the best in the West. But the New York Knicks, when's the last time the Knicks were a top four seed? The Raptors won a title before them. Before they made the second round again. Isn't that just unbelievable? I, I, don't, I don't get it, man. They're not going to get Giannis because they can't attract free agents because they're so dysfunctional. They're delusional. I feel bad for Knicks fans. It's, it's just... It's sad. All right, next up on the docket, I just wanted to touch on, make sure we get around to a couple sports here. Let's talk about what happened in Houston. The Houston Astros. I did watch that series when they beat the Dodgers. And it felt good to watch them beat the Dodgers, honestly. But here's the problem. What happened with the Houston Astros is inexcusable. And... I don't know how to feel about it because, look, they were caught cheating in one of the worst ways, stealing signs, and yes, they, they won a championship. And they're a great team. They're going to be good again this year. But when you look at them, you just have to think about this in the worst way possible. What do you know about the Astros? I, I mean, how good were they really? Jose Altuve is one of the most inspirational baseball players in my lifetime. Mike Trout, Christian Yelich, they're, they're going to do great things as well. But Jose Altuve gave so many kids hope because of just his stature, but also how great he was and from his poor upbringing. It just taints it. It, it makes you feel different about baseball. Did they really deserve to win that World Series? And we'll never know. Would the Dodgers have won? 
Would the Yankees have made the World Series? I don't know if we'll know. Because the Astros now make us feel like, what do we really know about baseball? I'm not going to watch a sport where one team is cheating and they got away with it and they got a championship out of it. It sickens me when NFL refs miss calls. How, how did they miss this? How did the MLB let this happen? And we only are finding out about it after the Astros have already won a title. Like, imagine being a Dodgers fan and hearing this. They were stealing our signals. They were cheapening baseball. Personally, I grew up in Milwaukee my whole life, rooting for the Brewers. And the Brewers did lose in seven and didn't end up going to that World Series where they would have played the eventual champion Astros, if you want to believe that they still would have beaten them. I don't know because you can't guess something like that. And I don't want to be the person that said, well, if the Brewers would have made it, they would have beaten them. But looking at it from the perspective of if the Brewers had made it. And then you learn this two years later that the team that beat you was stealing your signals and stealing the way you were winning. Imagine winning, I believe the Brewers won around 93 games that year. Imagine working that hard, going to the World Series, and you lose in seven, and very, very important aspect of the game is baseball is signals. Losing, but it was because your signals were stolen. It doesn't matter when it was, if they could tell when you're going to steal second, if they can tell what type of pitch is about to be sent, if they can tell... When you're going to pitch out, it gives you an unfair advantage. In the NFL, they made a big deal out of the Patriots, who they still haven't found the connection with. An asset that was working for Kraft was filming the Cincinnati Bengals sideline, and people were outraged when the Patriots did that. The fact that this is blowing over so quickly for the Astros, it's sick. Because the Houston Astros, I don't think stripping them of a first round and a second round pick, you know how long it takes prospects to actually pan out? Sometimes they don't even pan out. A first and a second round pick. Who are you going to compensate with that? The Dodgers? You're, you're going to compensate the Dodgers with that? I, I just... What do you do? What do you do to rectify the situation? As a baseball fan, and as a fan of doing what's right, there's always controversy. There's one big controversy every year. Last year, it was with New Orleans Saints and the no-call. And this year, it's the Houston Astros finding out they've been stealing signals. Something has to be done in American sports. And if baseball wants to make this right, And it's so hard for these players who worked so hard 
And the ones who didn't participate or weren't aware, I feel bad for. But I think you have to vacate the title. You have to take away the title. You have to take away the trophy. None of the players are going to give their rings up. They're just not. But you have to take down the banner. You have to take down the pennant. You have to vacate the trophy. 2017 was claimed by no one. You just have to you have to come to that consensus. Had they won in 2019, we would have been we would be having a different discussion because then they would have two out of the last three. But you have to vacate their last three AL West titles. You just have to, at minimum. You have to vacate their AL pennants and you have to vacate their World Series. I'm sorry, but these last three years of dominance didn't happen because you were stealing signals. The MLB needs to make this right. Vacate the titles. And I know that's hard. And it's hard for the players. And believe me, I really do love Jose Altuve. Carlos Correa, too. Justin Verlander. Those are three great players. But I think you have to vacate the titles. I don't think you can say that this was okay, Houston. If you want this to never happen again, you have to come down with a hammer and say, yes, you won titles, but guess what? You didn't earn them the right way. Your titles are being vacated. Your division championships are being vacated. Your pennants are being taken away. Imagine being that. Imagine being humiliated as an organization. Where fans come to the stadium the following season and see three division pennants, two AL championship pennants, and a World Series pennant. Gone. They don't get to look at them anymore. They don't get to see them. Because you cheated. The MLB's got to step up. I don't think a first and a second round pick are, are good enough. They have to do something. They just have to. All right, let's go to this now. We're coming up to the nitty gritty. And by the way, it is now the 16th. I'm recording this into midnight. And now we're getting ever so closer. It is now Thursday. We are now two days out from Championship Sunday 2020. Packers will be at the 49ers and the Titans will be at the Chiefs. I don't know how any of these games going to go. I'm very excited for Aaron Rodgers and I'm very excited for Patrick Mahomes. It's hard, it's hard to get excited about Jimmy Garoppolo. I get it. He's good. But Jimmy Garoppolo, to me, isn't quite there yet. He's not a Mahomes and he's not a Rodgers. And I wish Rodgers had a better roster around him. Because then I think they would really go to the Super Bowl. Or they wouldn't have lost to the Chargers or Eagles. Even if they lose to the Niners. If this game's in Lambeau, I'm sorry, the Niners aren't winning. 
But because it's in San Francisco, it's a different game. I'd love to see Mahomes Rodgers. I just would. I'm not going to get into the Packers and 49ers. We'll get into that later. Probably on the next podcast. But today I want to talk about the Chiefs and the Titans. And how difficult of a game this is to call. I don't know how the Chiefs got a seven and a half point line last time I checked. How do you get a seven and a half point line over a team that demolished the number one seed of Ravens? If the Chiefs were going to play the Ravens in Baltimore this Sunday rather than the Titans going to Kansas City, you want to know what the line would be? Probably six to Baltimore. Because that's just how good they are. It probably would be three now that I'm thinking about it. Maybe even four. But Baltimore would have been favored. It would have been in Baltimore and people would have said, oh, blah, 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 blah. No one would have been talking about the home field advantage. They would have been talking about Lamar Jackson. But the fact that the Titans beat them, no one is going to discuss. Derrick Henry is an absolute freak. Tannehill played a great game. Mike Vrabel can really coach. And I think the Titans are going to win the game. They're at least going to cover the spread. That that is going to be a field goal game at the end. Mahomes, he's going to play a great game. But my final predicted score is 28-20. Titans going to the Super Bowl. And here's why. I don't think it's going to be because of their defense. I think the problem is going to be Mahomes struggling. Because Mahomes is so fast and he's so gifted and he's so good. He has so many great athletes around him. It's speed, 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 speed. Their whole line is fast. Their whole line is fast. But here's the problem. Do you know what's going to happen when the Titans get the ball, and they're up by three. Even if it's 10 to seven in the second quarter, the Titans are going to have the ball for seven minutes in their next drive because Derrick Henry's just going to run it down their throats. Derrick Henry's going to play absolutely out of his mind bonkers. And that's good for him. I think Derrick Henry is going to be the best back in the league for the next couple of years. And you can say whatever you want. Derrick Henry is just a monster. He's better than Zeke. He's better than Gurley. I think the only one who's even a whimper of close to him is Ezekiel Elliott. Nick Chubb is not. Christian McCaffrey is not. They're just not physical like him. He's so big and he's so difficult to take down. I don't know how you beat him. And I think Tannehill is going to play great. Derrick Henry is just amazing. He's six foot three, 238. He's going to change the game. 
He's 26. I think over the next three years, he's going to be dominant. And then towards the end of his career, he's going to fade a little bit. He's been in the league three years. Which obviously, looking back at his last three years, you can't really say much about it. But the second half of this last season, he just has been playing out of his mind. He's been playing great. He's he's amazing. In his last five games, his worst game is against the Houston Texans in Week 17, and he ran for 86 yards. Four yards a carry. His second worst game, he had 103 yards. Almost six yards a carry, two touchdowns. I mean, he's unbelievable. This this last month stretch, last two month stretch for Derrick Henry has been unbelievable. I mean, two hundred and eleven rushing yards at Tex at Texans. He's just been unreal. And it's not like he was doing bad this whole season. He just got great at the end. Just better than the rest of the league. Because his worst game, yes, he had 28 rushing yards. But, I mean, to start the season, he had 84, 82, and then 44 versus Jacksonville. Jacksonville is actually a pretty good defense. Buffalo, who was an amazing defense, he had 78 against. And then a 28 follow-up performance against the Broncos. Derrick Henry's just going to control that game, man. These last three games, he's had 30-plus carries. And he just goes nuts with that ball. He's just good. In his last three games, he's had over 700 rushing yards. That's insane. That's actually crazy. Excuse me, 600. And all three were basically playoff games. Actually, all three were playoff games. At Texans was a playoff game. At New England, playoff game. Then he got better at Baltimore. Playoff game. I don't know who's going to stop Derrick Henry. And I think Ryan Tannehill is going to play a great game. And Mike Mike Frabel is going to coach his ass off. Excuse me. I'm excited, man. I'm excited. I just can't wait. Derrick Henry's been in this league for three years now. Man. 1,500 rushing yards. And everyone who was saying he was a lackluster back, in 2018 he had 1,000 yards. Come on. On 176 carries in 2017, he had 744. On 110 carries, he had 490 in 2016 as rookie year. He's just been getting better, man. He's just been getting better. 1,700 rushing and receiving yards. 
I just I think Tennessee's gonna just wind that clock down. Mike Vrabel's gonna do such a great job. It's gonna be a heck of a game. All right, I wanted to thank you guys for listening in on this first podcast. And if you do like it, please share it. I am trying to get out there and maybe get discovered a little bit. If you did enjoy, please be sure to enjoy once again. I'll have a new episode out very shortly. And I wanted to just thank you guys. And if you do take time to listen, if you wanted to share this with your friends and just get me out there. I am a new podcaster. I have a very deep love for sports and I'm going to try to do better, do better research. I understand this podcast was a little bit rough to start, but if you could please just give me a chance and maybe I'll improve and entertain you guys and give you some good action. Thank you for listening and have a great rest of your day. And whenever you're listening to this, have a great rest of your night and thank you.